0: Praise the Lord, everybody. There's such a strong witness of the Holy Ghost already here this evening. I said it to the praise and worship team before service, and it was evident then and it's evident now that there's just a hunger. The people of God have a hunger, and the Spirit is meeting us as He always does. He's faithful to us. Amen. And uh, I believe I have a word from the Lord tonight. I think it's it's a uh, it's a word that is deep it goes beyond the surface level down to the bone down to the skeletal level of who we are and what we are in the world as the light of the world as a people that are set apart that do things differently and and uh, I think that if anything, we need a word like what I I hope to, to share tonight to help us in the day that we're living in. We're living in very confused times, very broken times, where everything seems turned upside down and inside out, and it's really difficult to find anybody that's saying some of the things that God's Word says, and I think tonight, Tonight will be an infusion for some. It'll be preparation and foundation for others. And I think for everybody, no matter what your stage and station in life, it's going to be enriching. I think it's going to get way down deep into that skeletal level of who we are as people of faith. It's going to help us. If you're looking for a word that's going to help you rebuild your life around something that's going to stand then you stay tuned in for the next little while here this evening. If you would, turn your attention in the word of the Lord with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I want to encourage you that if you weren't here on Wednesday night this past week, uh, go online and find the, the recording of that on our website. And uh, we're, we're, we're taking a marriage and family focus this month. I don't want to be like the world. I don't want my marriage and family to be like the world. I don't want my life, my relationships, my conduct, my marriage, my family to be something that reflects the world's values. I want it to reflect God's values. I want it to be situated within the methods that God has and the, and, and the patterns and the habits and the attributes that God would have placed into my life. There's a lot of forces that are pulling on us. I know that's not news to anybody, but there's a lot of forces that are pulling on us. Just because we're full of the Holy Ghost and we've been born again in the name of Jesus doesn't mean that we're immune to the forces of this world and the ideologies and the things that try to tell us and educate us and indoctrinate us on what our life ought to be like and what ought to be most valuable and what our marriage and our relationships and, and, and our family and our home life ought to be like. We're not immune from those things. And we need an infusion on a skeletal level, on a, on a deep level, on a structural level from the word of God to ground us and to help us stand in these days, amen? Ephesians chapter five is one such portion of God's word, and I wanna draw your attention to it with me this evening. Ephesians chapter five, verse 21, in the New King James Version says this, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife As also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to lo- love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. I don't know if there's many passages in the Word of God that fly so directly in the face of the culture we live in than the one we just read together. Would we be in agreement? It doesn't matter what stage or station in life you're in right now. I said it a moment ago, and now that we've read the text, I want to say it again. For those that maybe you're already married... This is going to be an infusion into your system. For anybody that's not married, that's looking, this will be preparation and foundational. And no matter what stage and station in life you're in, it's the principles of God's word are always enriching to us. And these things are applicable to almost every relationship in life. But let me say something about marriage. Your marriage doesn't need to look good. It needs to be good. There's a lot of focus being put on optics today in looking the part, in showing off your highlight reel online, your best moments. But your marriage, your marriage is the most important relationship you have in life outside of God. And it doesn't need to look good for everybody else. It needs to actually be good in its substance. And tonight I want to talk about, from the word of God, two things that your marriage must have, must have. And those two things are in verse 33 of Ephesians chapter 5. Those two things are love and respect. What I'm presenting to you tonight from the word of the Lord is not psychobabble. I don't like psychobabble. I don't like, like pop psychology. I don't have much for that. But the word of God bears out that there are two things in particular that if your marriage is going to thrive, you need to focus on these two elements. And the word of God tells us, this is not out of a psychology textbook, that they are love and respect both men and women need love and respect a husband needs love and respect a wife needs love and respect and when you get married married people in the house you know what i'm talking about you're gonna pick up on this right now married people when you get married you learn to speak in code you learn to speak a new language You learn to speak it And you learn to hear it And if you do not Then things Things fall apart Things don't go well To deny that this code And language exists Is both delusional And to your great demise So if we were going to normalize anything, I would say, let's normalize the language and the codes of love and respect. When I say a code or a language, I'm not talking about you try to speak in some obscure dialect that your partner can't understand and you drop hints and you do this and that. That's not what I'm talking about. Some of you said I'm talking about codes and language. You thought that's what I was talking about. I'm talking about the codes and language of love and respect. There's an illustration I like to use whenever I'm talking about this particular topic. Now, I've already laid the groundwork, and I've already said that men need love and respect, and women also need love and respect. But there's something fundamentally different about men and women. Agreed. There's something different about us. Fact is, in the original, in in the book of Genesis, there's some, the, the Jewish people, they believe that when God made man, when God made woman, that God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And that word that, that most of our English Bibles say is rib, that's perfectly good. But the Hebrew people, they, their, their sense of what that word rib that we call out as rib means is just side. It's an architectural term, side. When you get to the parts of the Old Testament, talk about the tabernacle, they use the same word. It's about, it's about buildings, it's architectural. And it's only much, much later in history that people start using that word that's in Genesis to mean rib. So you kind of read that backwards into the text. Anyways, the point I'm getting at is this. They believe that when God made woman, that God caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam and that he split the first human in two, right down the middle, made two people. One half was man and one half was woman. And there's things different about this half than this half regardless of how you think it happened if it was a rib if God took one rib and he did all the however you need to make sense of it and however you picture it in your mind of that day when God made both man and woman we can agree on this much there are things that are different between men and women all right I knew I'd get an amen there one of the things that's fundamentally different about men and women again not psychobabble this is the word of God One of the things that is fundamentally different about men and women is that although both of us need love and respect, women primarily survive off of love, and men primarily survive off of respect. That's the way it is. Now, we need both in our system, in our diet, so to speak, but men thrive off of respect, and women thrive off of love. And here's what happens. If you're, if, you're, if you're a lady, it's almost like every, per, every living human being has, this is a compressor, a small compressor, and this is an air hose. It's almost like we've got a compressor hooked up to us, right? Just imaginary with me for a second. And for a lady, what you need coming through that hose into your system is love. You need that. For men, what you need coming into your system through that hose, according to Scripture, is respect. That's what God says your system needs. That's the way you're designed. That's the way you're made up. And that's what helps you thrive as a person. And when, and when your air hose That's hooked into your system gets stepped on by someone. And you're not feeling the love. And you're not feeling the respect. What happens when you cut off the oxygen to somebody? They start acting crazy. They start doing things that are wild. They get right out of the norm. What what is essential to them to live has been removed. And it doesn't take very long that you can be standing across the room and you can see when something's not going right. And you know, in our marriages, who controls the air pressure? Who controls the dial? Your spouse. Your spouse controls that. And so when that's shut off, we start doing wild things. We start doing crazy things. These differences are not weaknesses. It's not a weakness. They're God-given realities. And they're differences worth rejoicing over. I'm glad we're not all the same. Now, here's what happens. Let me paint a picture. And then I'm going to give you three examples from the Bible of each of uh, for the men and three for the ladies. Here's what happens when the air supply gets cut off. It launches you into this thing called that some people call you can call it whatever you want I suppose. A good name for it is the crazy cycle. Okay? Here's what happens. She feels unloved and so she responds in a way that conveys no respect. And then he feels unrespected and responds in a way that conveys no love. And when that happens, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, we are off to the races. And you get launched into something that's a cycle, right? It's perpetual, and it's a system, and everyone's going around, everyone's going around stomping on somebody's air hose, right? Because we're pinging each other. (laughs) A little harshness there. A little contempt here. One snarky comment over here. One eye roll over here. And every time we're cutting off each other's air supply and we're just keeping ourselves in a crazy cycle. It happens in the verbal And it happens in the nonverbal. And eventually, someone has to step in and stop the cycle. You can't step on your spouse's air supply and play games with this stuff. You can't do that and have a healthy marriage. Talking tonight about two things your marriage must, must have. Now, I'm not going to get into it tonight, it's for another time, about particular things that you can do to make sure that this is happening in your relationships. There's a lot of ways. We could make a list, and maybe that's the best homework of all, is to start thinking of ways that you can start to incorporate some of these things into your life, and that you can start living some of these things out. Is this okay? Okay. Okay, let me give you an example. Um, there's, uh, I, I'm not going to get to the Bible examples yet. Let me tell you a story. Right, let me give you an example of something else. let do this. Um, there's this word that we can attach. Now, I think we're all on the same page. I think we all see that this is Bible and that this is real. I think it's resonating with us. And we're getting down to that deep bone level where this stuff is the stuff that makes our life the way that God designed our life to be. Well, love and respect, that's good. I think we're all in agreement on that. But let's throw a common word out in front of these that we see all the time in these kinds of conversations. Let's talk about unconditional love. Unconditional love. Aren't we, pardon the pun, conditioned to think that unconditional love is normal? that that's expected, probably was in your wedding vows, right? Somewhere. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Unconditional love. Sometimes I do things that's not, but Sean, I'm not very lovable all the time. And in those moments, I'm glad that Sister Ellie, my wife, grants me unconditional love. Because there's many times that I'm not extremely lovable. Sometimes I get, you know, prickly, like a cactus or something, and, you know, I just need, I need, I need the benefit of the doubt. I need some slack, and that's, there's a lot of that that happens in marriage, amen? Okay, but what about unconditional respect? Now, that seems like an oxymoron. Those are two words that maybe we've never put next to each other in the same sentence in our entire life. But if we believe what we believe about unconditional love and we have our roots, our anchor for that in the word of God, we also have to, we've got to do some thinking and we've got to do some praying about what it means to respect unconditionally. I can hear the gears turning right now because I've talked about this before in different settings and every time... The gears start turning because this seems like this is this. When I said a little while ago that I don't want to be like the world, that I want to model and structure my life and my relationships and the most important things in my world around the Word of God, I meant that, and that's this is the logical place that we've arrived at. Is we are very very locked in to the idea of unconditional love, but we we have to. We're going to have to grapple with the idea also of unconditional respect and what that means for our relationships if we're going to come into alignment with the word of God. We have to. It's uncomfortable. It's foreign to us. But we have to do it. I know, I know that this is real because It wasn't very long ago, I was in the greeting card section of the store. And every card is about love and unconditional love. Is it Valentine's season or is it not? (laughs) I dare you to go find a card at the store that you open it up and it says, darling, I, I respect you. I dare you. To my dearest husband, I respect you so much. Now you might write that in there after tonight, but I dare you to find one that's pre-printed out of the factory. Brothers and sisters, it, such a card does not exist, and that's because the world has not the world has not taught us this. We no longer live in a society and in a world where the culture is going to teach us Christian values just by osmosis. We're not going to soak it up like a sponge just by going through the school system or just by going through the motions at home. We don't live in that world anymore. And, I, and, and there's nothing better that maybe paints the picture in real life terms than the example I just used because we've all stood in the greeting card aisle, I think. And you know exactly what I mean. You've never seen such a card in your life, but that's fifty percent of the equation. And there's an entire 50% that's completely unrepresented by popular culture, by the way we normally think about this topic. Two things your marriage must have. Let's look at a couple Bible examples. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna put I'm gonna put the, the crosshairs on the men first. Is that okay? Okay, all right. I'm going to do it anyways. Here's what, turn with me to Esther chapter 1. Esther chapter 1. So I'm going to give you an example about men, and I'm going to do it from the book of Esther. So uh, as you're turning there, let me make a statement. Men fear contempt, contempt is disrespect. Men, there's something deep seated inside of us that we fear contempt. We do not want to be disrespected. We do not want to. Uh, be held in any kind of contempt by anybody. Esther chapter 1 verse 16 there was a man that came and answered the king and the prince. now here's what happened before I start reading. They were having a party the king's married to this lady named Vashti they're having this big uproar of a party and the king says this would be a great idea Vashti come on in here and Vashti says no not going to do that Course, this sent shockwaves through the palace. No one said no to the king. Verse 16 answered before the king and the princes, said, Queen Vashti has not only wronged the king, this is one of the king's advisors. Queen Vashti has not only wronged the king, but also all the princes and all the people who are in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus. For the queen's behavior will become known. What the queen has done. All the other women are going to find out about it. And that they, they will start treating their husbands the same way. They're going to start telling their husbands no. And they said, the report's going to go out that King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought in before him, but she did not come. This very day, the noble ladies of Persia and Media will say to all the king's officials that have heard of the behavior of the queen. And thus, because of this, There will be excessive contempt and wrath. One lady refuses to go into a party that is probably drunken, probably not a good environment. One lady says no, just a two-letter word, no, one time, and it sets off a chain reaction across, hear me, the entire known world. Is that not the most male thing ever? I'm just... Ladies, you have tremendous and terrifying power in this matter. Men hate contempt. We cannot stand the idea. That's what all these... The whole whole court of the, the king, they started quaking in their boots because Vashti had the gall to say no, and they took it as disrespect. And they said, oh my goodness, every woman in the entire empire is going to hear about this, and we're going to have a riot. We're going to have, an, we're going to have a revolution on our hands. We've got to do something about it. And so he, they, they told King Ahasuerus, they said, you've got to send out a decree You've got to send out a decree. You have to get rid of Queen Vashti. We've got to launch a nationwide sweepstakes to find the next queen. Isn't that pretty wild? Seems like an overreaction to me. Does it? Seems like an overreaction. I tell you that story because it's got the very word that we're looking for. They use the word contempt. You can see the thing that's driving The entire agenda here. And it's a male fear of contempt and being disrespected. It's how we're wired. It's not necessarily a weakness. It's just how we're wired up. It's how we're designed. Here's another example. Second Samuel chapter six. Second Samuel chapter six. This is a story when David rolls into town. He rolls into this territory and he's got his army with him. No, that's a different one. That's the next chapter. I got ahead of myself. That's one of the ladies. That's one of the other examples. This, this, That's 1 Samuel. 2 Samuel is about when David comes in and he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant home. He's bringing the Ark of the Covenant home. It says, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 13, so it was when those bearing the Ark of the Lord had gone six paces that David sacrificed oxen and the fatted sheep and David danced before the Lord with all of his might and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Now, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, as the ark of the Lord came into Jerusalem, Michal, Saul's daughter, daughter, David's wife, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. So, the Ark of the Covenant's coming into town. They're stopping every six paces, and they sacrifice, and they worship. And in the middle of it all, David, King David, is leading the procession, and he is giving it all he's got. Every ounce of energy is being poured into this worship. He's dancing. He's whirling. He's worshiping. There's praise going up. It's not very dignified, but he's in the presence of the Lord. And he's doing what is pleasing unto the Lord. And as all this is happening, as the ark approaches the city limits, Michal looks out her window, and she sees David doing this. And the scriptures say that when she saw it, she despised David in her heart. Verse 20 picks up and says, Then David returned to bless his household. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, his wife, came out to meet David And said, now you can hear the sarcasm dripping in her words here. How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids and of his servants, as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. In other words, look at you. I saw the king of Israel making a fool of himself today, worshiping. And so David said to my cow, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all of his house, Whew. to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord, and I will be even more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maid servants of whom you've spoken, by them I will be held in honor. You can see in David's response to Macau's despising him and mocking him and not giving him the, the respect due unto what, he, what his actions were, you can see he immediately lashes out. And he's in the right. He says, Michal... God chose me instead of your father's house. God appointed me over this people. I was doing it as unto the Lord. I was doing it pleasing unto the Lord. And what you think is is awful and undignified, I'm going to do it even more. And everybody else in this kingdom seems to understand what you can't get a hold of, Macal, and they're going to hold me in honor because of it. You can see that based on just on David's reaction, that that moment between him and his wife where she had a misstep and despised him in her heart and then verbalized it that something deep inside of David lashed out and responded. And that leads me to my third example that you need to see what's going on here. The very next verse, verse 23, says, therefore, this sums up the matter, therefore, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. God stood against and condemned her because of how she treated and what her attitude was like in that moment. And it was unrepentant. That's how serious, that's, that's how deeply wound up this is inside of us. And that's how much God sees it. Let's look at a couple, few examples for the ladies. The first example I would point you to is Genesis chapter 16. Now as you're turning there, Genesis chapter 16. I'll just pause while we're kind of at a bridge moment here and say, I love it when the Word of God, in one of the New Testament letters we read from Ephesians 5 tonight, I love it when the Word of God teaches us something that one of the apostolic voices of the first century, like the Apostle Paul, writes to us something like this, like what he did that we read together from Ephesians chapter 5, and then there's a witness to it in the rest of Scripture. Don't you love how that works? For, I, I, I can't speak for anyone else, but for me, that takes, and I would believe it anyways, but it takes it and it turns it into an ironclad doctrine for me. It gives me, it gives me such a certainty that I can start building my life around these principles and that God's not going to let me down, that it's not all going to be for naught. Genesis chapter 16, here's what's happening. Sarah is barren. She has no children. And Sarah and Abraham got impatient. And so Sarah gave Abraham her handmaiden, Hagar. And Hagar bore a child. She bore a child. Now, when this happens, Hagar has the child, and they start, there's a whole chain of events that starts happening. I want to go to Genesis chapter 16, I want to look at it word for word. Genesis chapter sixteen verse four says, Abraham went in unto Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarah said to Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. And the Lord, the Lord, judge between me and thee. But Abram said unto Sarah, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarah And when Sarah dealt hardly with her, Hagar fled from her face. Now, understand what the animating forces are at work here. We've already established that there's love and respect, and that respect has such a huge influence over men and husbands, and love has such a huge influence over ladies and wives. And so, understand with me where Sarah's coming from as a lady. Based on what we know from Ephesians chapter 5, Sarah had given Abraham, her husband, this other lady, her handmaid named Hagar, and Hagar had this child when she wasn't able to have a child, and now all of a sudden the feelings are changing and the emotions are running wild, and Sarah was afraid that she would not be loved anymore. Sarah was afraid she was about to be demoted and that her air supply, her hose, her air hose was about to be stepped on and pinched off permanently. Because Hagar has been able to supply something that I was not able to supply, and I'm afraid. Now, whether or not she's thinking rationally, that's another topic. Because when when we feel like our air hose, this is men and women. When we feel like our air hose is getting pinched off, and our air supply is getting, and our love and respect is getting, getting throttled down, we aren't the most rational all the time. So whether or not Sarah's being rational or not, that's beside the point. But this is what she feels. She feels like she's going to lose her position as Abraham's beloved. We don't know exactly what Hagar was saying, but it's what Sarah felt that we know for sure because Sarah dealt harshly with Hagar and ran her out of the camp. And when this dynamic of love is threatened, any lady will have a very strong reaction. I take you to that story to make no other point except to say that this is real. And some of our most beloved Bible characters and people and heroes of faith had the same drivers driving them as we do today. Let's go to another example. I'm, just, I'm wanting to establish that this is real. This is real life. Genesis chapter 29, here's what happened. Genesis 29, as you turn there, you need to know that Laban, Laban, Jacob went to work for Laban, his uncle. And when he got on the scene, he saw Rachel. Now, I wanna stop and point out something. These Old Testament Bible ladies, these patriarch, matriarch ladies, they are anything but weak ladies. They're tough ladies, like most of the time when we get introduced to one of them, they're out there like drawing water for 70 camels or something. <laughs> so don't, don't take what, what's going on, what, some of the things that I'm, I'm bringing out about their character, don't take that as an indication of some kind of weakness because these ladies are anything but weak. Laban tricked Jacob. Jacob saw Rachel, one of Laban's daughters, and the, it was love at first sight. Jacob wanted her as his wife and Laban said if you work for me I'll do this and they made an arrangement. Long story short, Laban cheats him. And Laban instead of giving Jacob Rachel, he marries off her older sister, Leah to him instead and tricks Jacob. Genesis chapter Genesis chapter 29 tells us that it wasn't very long that they made another agreement because Jacob still wanted to marry Rachel and he works longer and he marries her. So now Jacob's got two wives. He's got Leah, he's got Rachel. Genesis 29 verse 31 says, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, right? You have to imagine, this is the wife he got tricked into marrying. He didn't have his eye on her to begin with. He wanted Rachel. Leah was naturally feeling unloved. And when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, God opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Have you ever stopped and seen that last part just there? Where in the middle of all of her troubles. The Lord opens up her womb. She has a son. And she says, well, now I've, I've had a son. I've given my husband a child. Rachel hasn't been able to. Now, maybe my husband will love me. Isn't that wild that those are the recorded words we have of Leah in this moment? That, she, that her mind immediately goes to now maybe I'll be loved. What's that say about the inside of a lady? What's that say about the things, the things that drive and animate and the forces that are at work in the life of a wife and a lady? Leah was being crushed every day by Jacob's inattention to her, his indifference for her. And she thought, she hoped, she prayed, God, maybe, just maybe, now that I've had this son, my husband will love me i want to take you to one more example in the word of the lord just to give you an ironclad view that this is absolutely real stuff this is skeletal level stuff this is the stuff that sets us apart from the world by how we live our lives first samuel chapter 25 first samuel chapter 25 This is the the part of Samuel, 1 Samuel, where David goes into the territory and he's got his army and men and they need supplies and food. It says that they went to a man named Nabal who lived in that territory and who had all the supplies and food that they needed. And they asked Nabal for the supplies and the food that they needed and Nabal basically spits in their face and says, who are you? Which is to say, Nabal had a harsh spirit. And a harsh spirit is the opposite of a loving spirit, which is what a lady needs. First Samuel chapter 25, verse 3 says, the man of the name was Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail. And she was a, good, a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his doings. Harsh is the word that Paul uses in the New Testament in Ephesians. He says, husbands, don't be harsh with your wives. That's the word he uses. And here we have, and I'm bringing up Nabal because this is a picture of somebody who's harsh, a man who is harsh. Verse 36, now, what happens? Nabal spits in his face, says, I'm not giving you any of that stuff. Who do you think you are? Really harsh response. And verse 36 says, when Abigail, good old Abigail, when Abigail heard about it, she went out and gave them everything they needed. She gave David and his men all the supplies and food that they needed. And she went on back to the house where Nabal was, and she found that Nabal was throwing a big party, and he was celebrating like a king, and he was very drunk. And so she didn't tell anything to him about her meeting with David until the next morning, and in the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife, Abigail, told him what she'd done, what had happened. And when he heard it, as a result, he had a stroke and he lay paralyzed, paralyzed on his bed like a stone. And about 10 days later, the Lord struck him and he died. Now, I don't know about you, but that has the same type of overtones to me as Mikal. Remember the Macau story? Macau despises her husband. Macau deprives her husband of what he needs the most in order to survive. And God condemns her and curses her, and she's barren all the days of her life. Nabal, instead of being loving and generous, Is harsh and evil. And the Lord looks down on a man like Nabal, just like he looked down on a woman like Macal. And God condemns Nabal. And Nabal has a stroke, is paralyzed, and ten days later dies. God stood against and condemned that husband, Nabal, who was harsh in his deals. And hear me, if he was harsh, with some random group of strangers like David, you better believe he was harsh with his wife. It is ridiculous to treat other people better than you treat your spouse. And you can just about tell how somebody will treat their spouse on the, based on how they treat other people. You might not see the other part of the equation, but you can just about be assured that it's there. Two things your marriage must have. Sister Debris, if you would come to the keys. Love and respect. I don't want to be like the world. I don't want my marriage and my family to be like the world. And I can't, we can't. I know this has been different tonight, but we cannot pick up the models and methods and values and patterns and messages of the world for our relationships and our families. We can't pick those up and plug those into our lives and expect to get anything different than what the world gets. We need to look to the word of God. I know this hasn't been milk tonight. This has been meat from God's word. But if you, if you will hear the word of God, if you will not just be a hearer, but you will be a doer of God's word, you will find that a word like this will enrich your life in ways that you never imagined possible. I mentioned earlier a couple phrases that can kind of be jarring to us a little bit. The first was unconditional love. The other was unconditional respect. You may look at your relationships. You may even look into the future, into the relationships that you are praying that God will allow to come into your life. And you may hear Brother Dustin teach about love and respect, and you may even be pondering the ideas of unconditional love and unconditional respect, and you, the gears might be turning of, how can I implement some of that into my life, and how can I, how can I do it? and and you might get to the logical place where I know I get and I I imagine we all get and you just start thinking to yourself, how in the world am I gonna possibly do it? (laughs) How in the world am I gonna possibly do it? And the answer that I have for you tonight as we all stand is the answer is only by God's help. Only by God's help. Here's what I know about God and here's what I know about his word god does not give us commandments that are impossible for us to follow he might give us commandments sometimes that are difficult but god doesn't put us in impossible situations where it is impossible to be obedient to god's word what i've ministered tonight i don't know if i've preached or taught but what i've ministered tonight maybe you're looking at the relationships in your life or maybe you're just looking this is important too. Maybe you're just looking at yourself and you're wondering, how can this be? How can I, how can I infuse some of this into my life? How, how's this gonna manifest in my life? What's my next move going to be? And I wanna tell you unequivocally, crystal clear, that we need the Lord's help in this. We must have the Lord's help in this. And if you leave tonight and you think that Brother Dustin has just delivered some kind of lecture that could have fit in anywhere in a college psychology course, you're wrong. Because what I've ministered has been from the word of the Lord tonight. And for us to be obedient to it, we need God's help. We need his help. This isn't just a simple to-do list. This isn't a checklist I've intentionally not given you examples of how you can implement this. There's a time and a place for all that, but I've intentionally withheld and not done that tonight because I never want anyone to feel like they can walk out and say, well, Brother Dustin gave me three things that I can do in order to be a better whatever or in order to improve myself and to grow as a person. We need instead to lean on the Lord and he will give us direction that is personalized for us. Can we lift up our hands? Because I think, I think there's a willingness to receive from the Lord in this room right now. And I think there's just a tenderness and, a, and, 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 a, and an openness in the spirit right now. Would you do that? Would you lift up your hands all over this room? And if you feel, if you feel led to, I want to invite you to come up around the front and find a place to pray. And maybe even bring your spouse or your family with you if it's appropriate and you're able to. But you don't have to do that. We can just find a place to pray and to respond to God right now. Because there's heart work that can be done. Come on, all over this room, I'm not gonna make a super strong invitation right now. I'm gonna make an invitation for whosoever will. If you wanna see the Lord do a work in your life on a deep level, if you wanna see your relationships improve, if you don't wanna be like the world and instead you wanna structure your life around the word of God and around what he has for us to be, I wanna make an invitation to you to go to the Lord in prayer right now. As they continue to play and as we just entertain the presence of the Lord, I would that you would be sensitive to God. You say, Lord, whatever you need to do, do it in me.